Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 for our sermon today. As we continue uh, our journey toward Advent with a message that is titled, God with us brings joy. As you celebrate Christmas or as you prepare to celebrate Christmas, I hope that uh, you're spending time praying as you prepare for the chance to let the joy of Jesus shine through you this season. And let's just be honest, church family and friends, whether you're in the room or watching online, there is a lot of opportunity in this world to let the joy of Jesus shine through your life. Do you see that? Amen. It is. There is ample opportunity, in fact. I would almost say, I don't know this for sure, but I would put money on this, that with every breath, there is an opportunity for you to share the joy of Jesus Christ with someone in our world that needs to know where they can find joy, where they can find hope, where they can find peace. Back on November 28th, you heard Chris's dad, the Reverend Bruce Irving, bringing us a message called God With Us Brings Hope. Last week, December 5th, Pastor Chris brought us a message called God With Us Brings Peace. Today, we take the next step, God With Us brings joy. And each of these sermons is essentially just a celebration of Jesus' name. You remember when uh, Mary was instructed on how to name her baby. You remember the name that, he, that she was instructed to give him, right? Emmanuel, God with us, for he will save his people from their sins. And so God with us brings hope, brings peace, brings joy. Each of these sermons is an examination of where we find key elements of a vibrant, Christ-centered faith. Before we get to our verses in Luke, um, I would like to take a moment and uh, examine the theologian Ralphie for a moment. Uh, you remember Ralphie? Okay, so he's not exactly a theologian. He's a character in a movie. Um, and the movie, maybe you remember, A Christmas Story, um, I want to talk about Ralphie for just a second because of what happens in the big arc of the story and how it might tie in today. Um, maybe you remember Ralphie is sitting at the breakfast table one morning and his mom approaches him with the subject, what do you want for Christmas? And I don't know if you remember the movie, but he has an answer like that, right? He's been thinking about this. He's been dreaming about this. And what is it that he wants? Well, take a look at the screen this morning. This is what he, he blurts out. I mean, just can't get it out fast enough, right? When his mom says, what do you want for Christmas? I want a official Red Rider carbine action, 200-shot model air range model air rifle. Now, that's specific, but, I mean, he's there with it. it it's the answer that he, he blurts out. This is his joy for Christmas would be to receive this if you think of it like that. Well, as the story goes, what's mom's response? Like any good mom, what does she say? Nah, not gonna happen, buddy, because you'll shoot your eye out. We know the line. 
Um, and what happens as, as Christmas approaches, maybe the hope is still there. He was brave. He is a courageous young boy. And he said, he, vo- he voiced, he answered mom's question. He voiced his desires, even though she kind of shot him down. But the hope, I think, is still there. And as Christmas approaches, um, they start to open gifts. And the most memorable gift looks like this, right? Okay, so maybe that's not a good picture. Go ahead and put the next picture up. That's the full suit, right? It's a, it's a gift from an aunt. It's a pink bunny suit. His little brother, Randy, is laughing at him the whole time. His dad, I think, is actually laughing at him the whole time. Mom is insistent. He goes and tries the suit on. And this is what we remember. This was the greatest gift he got. And as the story goes in the movie, after they open the presents, mom and dad and Ralphie are sitting on the couch and, and dad says, you know, basically the old cheer up speech. Well, there's always next year, son. Maybe next year Santa will bring you your rifle. And then he kind of leans over and he says, but wait a second, what's that over in the corner? And sure enough, over in the corner, dad has done something a little bit mischievous and he has bought this air rifle for his son. And it's over in the corner and Ralphie gets the box and as soon as he sees it, he knows what's in it. He opens it and within seconds, he's putting BBs in this thing in the house. Not a good idea, but I'm just saying that's how the story went. And, and, and boom, he's out the back door. And within minutes, he's got a target set up, a paper target on a metal sign. Another bad idea. And then as we know, he takes aim. He starts talking to his nemesis. Remember his nemesis's name? Nemesis's? Is that the right word? Black Bart? Yeah. He takes aim. He's going to exterminate Black Bart. He's going to restore hope and order and joy and justice in the world. And he pulls the trigger, and the bullet comes back at him, right? Knocks his glasses off, puts him on the ground, and he is in horror. Fear has seized him because what mom said would happen almost happened, didn't it? He almost did shoot his eye out. In the moment, he panics. He says, I can't confess to this. I've got to make up a story. And so he makes up this story about an icicle falling off the corner of the garage, knocking his glasses off, and that's how he got injured. That's how his glasses got um, broken that day. See, what happened in Ralphie's case, his greatest joy actually became his greatest shame in that moment because what mom said would happen, happened. And he couldn't admit to it. He couldn't confess to it. It's a fun story, but I think there's some things that we can um, see in our story today that kind of um, tell the opposite story of how God takes things, be it shame, be it brokenness, be it... um, I don't know, you fill in the blank. The things that are wrong in this world because of sin, how he takes those and still uses them for his glory. So if you're able, I'd like to invite you to stand this morning as we read our scripture. We're gonna be in Luke chapter one, starting in verse five. Got several verses we're gonna read this morning, so hang tight with me. Luke one, verse five says this, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. I'm guessing a little bit on that name, but that's what I'm gonna go with today. Abijah, his wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. 
That's a key part of the, the, the story. We're going to come back to that in just a second. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a great joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and to the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteousness, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord." Now skip down to verse 39 in that same chapter with me, if you will. Verse 39 says this, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is this child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you as we open your word together. We're thankful for the power of your word. We're thankful for the promise of your word. Thankful for the application and the opportunity that we have today to, to uh, get a glimpse, to be instructed, to receive from you what you want us to have, Father. And that's joy in Jesus. So, Father, as we study your word together, would you speak to our hearts? Would you illuminate our, our, our minds? Would you draw us together? God, would you um, heighten in our hearts a sense of the gospel and the needs that exist in this community where you have planted us, Father? We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, friends. Be seated this morning. As I look through these uh, verses today, really just have a couple of points and then a few subpoints that I'd like to make in order to help us understand how it is that the birth of Christ brings joy. God with us, Emmanuel, brings joy. I think in general, if you just read through this story, uh, there are other places in Scripture where this is confirmed, but if you just read through this story, at a kind of a surface level, you can take this truth away, that joy overcomes shame. In all cases, when, when, when God comes on the scene and he grows up joy within a person's heart, it overcomes any sense and all senses of shame. Let's go back to the text. Luke chapter 1 and verse 6 says this about our two main characters today. They were Zechariah and Elizabeth. I may call them Zach and Liz. That's the same people, okay? Zechariah and Elizabeth today. And verse 6 tells us that both of them, both Zechariah and Elizabeth, were righteous in the sight of God. 
And then verse 7 tells us that they were childless. So get this in your mind this morning, church family. These two realities existed simultaneously for Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were righteous and childless. Let that sink in for a moment. Righteous and childless. Some in Jesus' day believed and taught that childlessness was a sign of sinfulness and unrighteousness. In fact, as I was getting ready for uh, preaching today, I was looking through my New Living Translation study Bible, and it had this note uh, in this passage. It said, childbearing was viewed as the highest calling for women in Jesus' day, and infertility brought with it social stigma and shame. So here is Elizabeth, here is Zechariah. They are righteous by God's account, by the testimony of his word. We got to stick with that, right? But they were childless. In the midst of cultural shame around their childlessness, Zechariah has this profound encounter with God. And I want to point this out to you today, friends. Um, If you're tempted to believe like maybe some in Jesus' day, and maybe the stigma still exists today, that uh, in this case, some sort of affliction like childlessness um, or some sort of uh, like sickness, even just general health, is somehow connected to unfaithfulness or unrighteousness, I I would challenge you on that. You need to find that in God's word, and I'll give you the short answer. You're not going to find that in God's word. That's not what God's word teaches. It was, in their case, their childlessness was in no way connected to sin, to faithlessness, to unrighteousness, but it was connected to God's plan. It was connected to God's plan. Remember, scripture says they were what? Righteous and childless. In the midst of all of this, Zechariah, in doing his uh, priestly responsibilities, has this profound encounter. And in the middle of that, God intervenes, and their shame is overcome with joy. Notice what Scripture says in verses 13 and 14. This angel delivers a message to Zechariah in the midst of him interceding on behalf of the nation of Israel. And it says, Zechariah, God told me to come tell you this. Your prayer has been answered. Your prayer has been answered. Zechariah, if you look, we didn't read the verses this morning, but if you look down to verses 22, there seems to be an indication that Zechariah was so overcome in the moment that he came out unable to speak. He, could, he, couldn't, he couldn't share about it. In fact, you can look down in the verses. Um, let me see here. Could not speak. Uh, seems like it's, well, let me see there. 20, yeah, 20. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, 20, 21, 22. He, he was in the presence of God so long in the temple that people started wondering, where, where did Zechariah go? I mean, did he like lay down in there and take a nap or what's going on? But he has this profound encounter, and God answers his prayer. He, um, God overcame, overcomes their shame with joy. Uh, many Bible scholars are, believe that uh, Zechariah's prayer that day would have been at least two-part. 
maybe more, but there would have been at least two part. And we see them uh, in the historical, I guess, uh, knowledge, what we know about the priestly duties were, and then we see it in the response of the angel. The first part of Zechariah's prayer, he was commissioned on behalf of Israel to pray for them. And those type prayers would be what any good leader would pray. They would be prayers of protection and provision and prosperity and favor. All of those things are good. But remember, Zechariah was also a righteous man. So we have to believe at some level he would have also been praying for God's presence to overwhelm his people, for repentance to come, and for the relationship to be restored between heaven and earth. That's what righteous men pray for. They may pray for daily needs. You've heard the prayer, right? Give us this day our daily bread. You say those things and you mean them and you believe that God will provide those things. But the sense of righteousness that grows in a man who God sees as fit, it has a bigger picture in mind. God's will, God's way, God's plan, God's timing. We see the second part of the prayer in how the angel responds. We can see clearly that, that Zechariah, even in the moment, possibly overcome by the presence of the angel, by the presence of the Lord, by the message of the Lord, that he feels okay uttering this prayer. And, and you gotta know, remember Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were described they, they, in, in scripture, they were described as being elderly folks. You got to know that they had prayed this prayer over and over and over. It wasn't something that Zechariah, I think, took lightly. He interjects this. And I just want to make this observation in here. Isn't that just like our God to do something like that? Isn't he, his character... Doesn't he do things like that? Doesn't he take a situation that is profoundly broken, a, a, a situation that is steeped in shame, and he turns it into something that causes and brings rejoicing? He, he does that. For many of us, that happened in the moment of salvation, where by the gospel we believed that we were dead in sin, yet because of our faith in Christ, we now have new life. We're gonna read the verse in a minute, but the verse in Corinthians, the old has gone, the new has come. Isn't that just like our God? He takes darkness and turns it into light. He takes brokenness and makes something out of nothing that could only glorify him. Isn't it like our God to create hope where there is nothing but hopelessness? Isn't it like our God to heal the body and heal the heart, break the chains of the bound, uh, call the righteousness, in, or excuse me, call the unrighteous into righteousness through faith in Christ. Friends, listen today. The joy of Jesus always overcomes because it reconciles us to God. It always overcomes because it reconciles us to God. If you're taking notes this morning, I'd encourage you to write these couple of verses in the, in the margins there. Uh, Romans 8, 28, maybe you're familiar with it. And we know that in all things that God works for the good of those who love him. You ought to underline that phrase, of those who love him. 
He works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we referred to it or alluded to it a minute ago. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, keep in mind here, friends, that it would be real easy for us to get caught up in the fact that faithful people received something, an incredible gift from God. But the point of Zechariah and Elizabeth being given a son in their old age was not about being blessed by God. It was in how God would use their son. John the Baptist is who we know him as. You can go back and see that. Um, Verses... 16 and 17, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Uh, If you look at John's ministry, he had pretty much one message that he preached over and over and over, so much so that people were tired of, of hearing it. And his message was often one word, it was repent. It was come back to God. So the blessing wasn't so much in the child as it was in the, the child's purpose. Keep in mind that today. Let, let me make a couple of points of application before we move on. Uh, just wanna point these things out. I may have mentioned them, but I wanna, wanna kinda hone in on them today. Um, the application for us today in how God answers Zachariah's prayer with joy. Remember, the whole point of today is that God with us brings joy. And we see that God answered his prayer really in two ways. Remember Zechariah, a righteous man, praying for the restoration of his people, praying for reconciliation between God and man. Uh, How did God answer that prayer? Well, he answered it in the person of Jesus Christ. He answered it in the Messiah, the Son of Man, whom would come not very long after this encounter. Israel had longed and prayed for generations for the Messiah. And and I'm not shorting you at all when I say generations. 400 plus years. The United States of America that we know today is nowhere near 400 years old. Yet for that length of time, Israel as a nation had been leaderless. Many of them had fallen into despair, believing that the Holy Spirit was no longer active. And here comes the Messiah. And he changed all of that. In fact, on the world's stage, Israel's leaderlessness would have been their greatest shame. And here we see in the person of Christ that joy overcame their shame when the Messiah came. Secondly, in how he answered Zechariah's prayer, the long-awaited son. I mentioned this already, but I want to point this out. Their joy would not just be for the boy, but in how God would use their son to prepare for the Messiah. This prayer was to be fulfilled when John the Baptist was born. It's not about the gift, but about the purpose of the gift. So there's your first application in this. Secondly, I want to point us to this, maybe just a word of uh, warning today, and this is receive this in grace. I'm, I'm not trying to be dogmatic about it, but this is a good reminder for us as the church. When you read scripture, when you study scripture, do everything you can 
to not interject yourself into the story. So let me say it a different way. Don't read so far into Scripture that you come away believing that your faithfulness means that God owes you your hopes and dreams. It's, it could be done in this story. You could read this story and see the testimony of Scripture that says God counted Zechariah and Elizabeth faithful. He counted them righteous. And then he gave them what would have been the, the, their biggest hope, their biggest dream, their biggest Joy in the birth of a son. Can, can I caution you against that? That's not the way scripture was designed to be read. It's not a, the faith that we have in Christ. We, we don't live to get something. We live for faith in Christ because of who he is. This line of thinking that your faithfulness means that God will bring you your hopes and dreams, this line of thinking derives from what I would call a toxic prosperity gospel. It exists in our culture. It's a false gospel, by the way. It lures many from the faith in our day. And here's where I think we need to stay, church family. This keeps us in proper perspective. God is good, and he owes us nothing. He owes us nothing. That truth, that reality lived out in daily life changes things for us. Many of us, in fact, I'll say it like this, I believe all of us receive some sort of blessing from God if it's nothing more than the breath that's in your lungs. But the reality is we live in a place where God's blessings are abundant. Your faith doesn't mean that God is gonna give you your wildest dreams. That's not what it's about. Your faith reconciles you to God and that brings joy. Let me say one last thing here before we move on and I'm gonna say it like this. To the faithful yet afflicted. Maybe you are here today and in the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, you, you can draw some parallels between your life you have lived faithfully for God, yet you find yourself afflicted in some way. Maybe it's an affliction of sickness. Your, your health is not good. Maybe it's an affliction of hopelessness. You, you look at this world that we live in and you think, how in the world could God do something good in this place? Maybe it's an affliction of barrenness like them. Maybe it's an affliction of singleness. Maybe as a young adult, you, you think, I'm never going to find that one person that, that God's going to give me as a spouse. I'm going to search and search. Maybe you've been searching. So let me say this, for the faithful yet afflicted, my encouragement to you would be to remain faithful. It would be to remain faithful, to stay the course, to trust God, to pray without ceasing, to pursue holiness, to share the gospel, to make disciples. And I believe what you will find is that it is through affliction that we come to possess the joy of Jesus Christ because he is there in it with us. It's not the removal of said affliction. It's the presence of Christ in the midst of the affliction. 
Probably the clearest way I could say it for you today, friends, would be to say this. The presence of Christ, no matter the season of life, from the joy of Christmas to the, the, the pain of affliction, the presence of Christ is the greatest present that you will ever receive. It is. His presence is the present. And it's good. It's good. Say, Andy, all that sounds really good, but where in the world would I find this joy? Well, I think the scriptures that we have read this morning points us in one direction, and I want to clarify that today, that I believe that the fullness of joy, if you and I are going to experience joy in this life to its fullness, it will be found in Jesus Christ. So the fullness of joy is found in Jesus Christ. Christ. Notice uh, what uh, our verses in verse 41 say, that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the the baby leaped in her womb. Uh, When I read that, I have to call a time out for a minute, and I need to make a confession here, okay? I don't understand all of the intricacies of what's going on here. I am a father three times, but I don't have the experience of what it means to have a baby leap in your womb. This would be a good time for the rest of the men in the room to just back out of the conversation, okay? We don't know this. We don't understand it. If if you've been privileged as a woman to bring a baby in the world, I know there's some things going on. I don't understand it all. And I don't even know what qualifies as, quote, leaped in the womb. I know that at one point, I can't remember which child of mine it was, but Mary was uh, far along, let's say it like that. And um, is that bad? No? Okay, good. All right. Good. She was, uh, she was close to delivery. That's the best way to say it, right? And she was feeling the movement of the baby and, you know, had the, kind of the belly uncovered and was seeing things happen. And, I mean, I could see them. And at some point, I see a face pressed up against the side of the belly. I'm like, good grief. I don't know what's going on. Mary did not smile. It was uncomfortable. I don't understand all of that, what is going on. I'm willing to learn, I guess, but even having three kids, I'm confident that I cannot understand all of this. I do understand this, though, friends, that some will spend great amounts of money and endless amounts of time seeking the fullness of joy in this world, and they will still come away unfulfilled. Have you seen that? Have you seen that there is no end to what people will spend in pursuit of joy in this world. There is no amount of time that is too great. We will forsake everything else to chase after what we think will bring us joy and still come away unfulfilled, having spent money, having spent time. Why? Because all of those searches are outside of Jesus Christ. Remember today the words of Acts chapter 4, verse 21, that says this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The fullness of joy in this life is found in Jesus Christ. And here's the reality. Sometimes people get twisted about when we teach, when we preach here at Coastal Oaks Church that there is one way to heaven. I'm glad there's only one way, y'all. Glad there's only one way. I'm glad for so many things, but one way. Say it however you like today. 
no one else, no other name, in Christ alone, one way. It's not in promotions, it's not in status, it's not in possessions, it's not in products, it's not for sale. Joy is in Jesus. The fullness of joy that you can experience in this life is 100% wrapped up in the babe in the manger. I want to say four, I guess, things to further illustrate this. You can call them sub-points, I guess, if you want to, but I hope that these will add to our conversation today. First thing, number one, joy belongs to Jesus. I think this helps illustrate the point that fullness of joy is found in Jesus. You can take this to the bank, friends, that joy is, uh, excuse me, joy belongs to Jesus. It's in his possession, I don't know if you're familiar with this um, phenomenon, but are you familiar with something called the dad tax? Anybody ever heard of the dad tax? No? So a few people shaking your head, Jess. So the dad tax goes like this. It's a principle in life that I'm a father, and if my kids have something, I probably bought it for them. And so that means I own it, even though they still possess it, Right? So uh, here's an example. Sometimes we go on road trips to see family near uh, Dallas-Fort Worth. It's seven and a half, eight hours from here to Dallas-Fort Worth. Any way you cut it, it's not a fun drive. So we have to put in these stops along the way. And stops usually involve snacks because snacks make people happy. And happy car people are happy. That, that makes the, the whole car ride go better, right? Yeah. So we get the snacks and we get back in the car and we're driving along and I don't know why, but it happens like this. I may get a snack, but inevitably I see someone in the back seat that has a snack that I want to try. It's different than my snack. Maybe it's a bag of peanut M&Ms or something like that. And so I make the request, hey, can I have one of your M&Ms? And I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's always a hesitancy <laughs> to comply with that request. I don't know what it is. Why is that the case? Did I not just buy those M&Ms? I did. Could I not stop at the next store and buy you more M&Ms if I ate all those? I could. Could we stop at every town between here and where we are going? And could I not walk in a store and, and, and out of my abundance, and I don't have a lot, but I can afford M&Ms, could I not do this for you? Yeah, yeah, we could. Joy belongs to Jesus in the same way. It's his. And if we are going to experience the fullness of joy, we will go to him for it. Verse 41, notice what happens in the verses that we read. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The presence of of the unborn baby Jesus caused the unborn baby John to jump for joy, brought rejoicing. Why? Because joy belongs to Jesus. Joy belongs to Jesus. Said another way, Jesus is the source of joy. I think we've said it, but I'll say it again. If you're going to experience the fullness of joy in this life, go to the source. Go to the source. Colossians chapter one, verses 15 and 17 says this, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. That him is a reference to the person of Jesus Christ every single time. And verse 17 says it very clearly. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Joy belongs to Jesus. But secondly, um, here's the good news, that Jesus invites you to abide in him. We mentioned it a minute ago, but I just want to take a minute right here and flesh this out for us. I'm so glad that there is one way to experience joy in this life, and it is by abiding in the person of Jesus Christ. The good news for you and me, he's not hiding it. We don't have to go on some magic carpet ride or some treasure hunt. It's in Jesus. 100% grounded, founded, resolved, dissolved, whatever word you want to put in there. Joy is in Jesus, and Jesus invites you to abide in him. You don't have to earn it. That's also good news. In fact, if you believe what Scripture says, Scripture says you can't earn it. It's a free gift of grace. You find fullness of joy by choosing to abide in Christ daily. This is an intentional effort, uh, an effort that involves your mind, your heart, your soul, your conscience, the breaths that you breathe, the heartbeat in your chest every day, every second, directed in making God known through faith in Christ. A couple of verses for you here that illustrate this. Psalm chapter 5, verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. And then Paul's words to the Philippian church in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. But one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind me and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul's words are pretty clear. One way, one path, one pursuit. Jesus invites us to abide with him. Thirdly, today, as we get ready to wrap up, I want you to see that Jesus distinguishes his joy from the world's happiness. Can I say to you this morning that joy, if you can call it that, apart from Jesus is not really joy. It may be happiness, but it is not joy. Joy is bigger. Joy is overriding. It's an, it's an umbrella that, 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 uh, that will keep you from the rain. Happiness is different, and happiness is not what God has called us to. Even though we get that, he offers, he promises joy in Jesus. Jesus distinguishes his joy from the world's happiness. Unless it is founded in Christ and on the promise of Scripture, the joy that we experience in this life is not going to last. We may look to money, companionship, friendship, job, status, parenthood, anything you can think of. There's a long list. We, we keep adding things to the list, in fact. We'll find anything that we think will make us happy, will bring us joy. But Jesus says what I offer is different. It's eternal. And, and the happiness that you experience on earth is momentary. 
The joy that I offer, Jesus says, is lasting. But the happiness of this world is passing. The the joy that, that Jesus offers is satisfying to the soul versus the happiness in this world that will leave you wanting. Think of it in terms of spiritual versus physical. The joy of Jesus affects a man's spirit. You've been around joyful people. It's kind of contagious, a little bit annoying, right? You, you know them. Versus physical, which, you know, is just like all the other things, momentary, passing, and wanting. I was reminded as I was studying for today of an old song by an artist named Shirley Caesar. It says, um, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. It says that a couple times, but then it comes back and and nails home this truth. The world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that song. But friends, that's how you know. That's how you know if the joy that you have in this life is actually joy from God. Because if the world takes it, it wasn't from him. Lastly, before we wrap up today, I hope you can see this. There's kind of a progression here that joy belongs to Jesus. Jesus invites you to abide in him. Jesus distinguishes his joy from the world's happiness. Lastly, his joy fills you as you abide in him. Remember the verses from John chapter 15, starting in verse one. I'm not gonna read all of them, but here's the highlights. I am the true Vine, remain or abide in me, as uh, some translations say, and I also in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. I want to say this to you, friends. Today, uh, as, as we have spent this time in God's word together, uh, I'm hopeful that, that the Spirit is speaking to you, is speaking to you about the things that you call joy in your life and is confirming the pursuits that you have been uh, pursuing. But at the same time, you need to understand this, that the joy that Jesus offers is not a microwave dinner. It's something that happens over time as you abide in him. It grows in the heart of a man through intentional investment in the spiritual disciplines, through faith in the midst of trials, in the midst of afflictions, and over time, one act of obedience, one trial, one temptation, one day at a time, wash, rinse, repeat. That's how it happens. That's how it happens. Eugene Peterson is a pastor and a theologian, and he wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That's what the life of a Christ follower looks like. Long obedience in the same direction. Think about it with me as we um, kind of start to wrap up a little bit here today. Think about with me how a, a bird nest is built. A bird is flying. It, you know, something instinctively tells the bird to seek shelter, finds a tree, but there is no nest. So the bird must do what? Must start the collection of twigs and trash and whatever else goes into the making of a bird nest, mud and things like that. And then there's an effort that happens. There, there's a, 
There's just kind of a holiness that happens when creation does what creation does uh, as God designed it. And this, this, this bird builds this nest, but it, it's not quick. It happens over time. That's the way it is with our faith. His joy fills you as you abide in him. And that's good news because I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing a bunch of living, breathing people. So as you are here today, maybe you think, I'm a little short on joy. There's still time. There's still time for you to abide in Christ, to live each day to the fullness of his glory. Can you see that today, friends, that Emmanuel, God with us, brings joy. In Jesus Christ, we have the fullness of joy. Would you pray with me today?